Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast with me, Pastor James, coming out of Sarah Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. We are walking through God's Word one chapter a week, and today we get to Exodus 21. As we say every single week, if you've not read Exodus 21 in the recent past, go ahead, press pause and read it, and then we'll come back together as we seek to know and grow in God's Word. So last week, Exodus 20 was the Ten Commandments, these big, seminal, foundational rules, commandments, laws to govern God's people, the nation of Israel. We said that four, the first four, related to how the people interact with and view and relate to God. And then the other six relate to how they view and interact with and relate to one another. If you didn't listen to that, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it because as we now progress through the next couple of chapters, uh, things are going to be unpacked and explained and kind of um, applied to certain situations. So 21 picks up and uh, there's a couple of explanations in, in Exodus 21, a couple of civil and criminal laws explained, uh, a couple of religious and um, ceremonial laws are explained, and then there are humanitarian and um, moral laws. And they're going to come over the next few chapters. Uh, so Exodus 21 is, is interesting. There's some stuff in there for us to take away, so let's jump in. So Exodus 21 begins, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. So things are going to be explained. Verse 2, When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free for nothing. Straight away then, we're what, two minutes into this week's teaching. And we need to pause and we need to say that when we read in our English Bibles the word slave, when you buy a slave, sell it, all this kind of stuff, it doesn't have the abhorrent, horrible connotation that we probably think that it does. What Moses is writing about, what we are reading about, is probably not what you are thinking about when you read now as a modern, probably Western English-speaking, Bible-believing Christian is probably not what you're thinking about. Um, slavery, servanthood, um, the world of the attendant at the time covered a massive, vast and varied range of social and economic roles. If you're interested, I will put a link in the show notes below to some comparisons between slavery, what's referred to in the Bible as slavery, then and there, versus what we think when we read it now. But we really need to be careful that we don't overlay, we don't put our modern understanding of the word slavery onto these very, very particular, sometimes peculiar uh, structures of this time and in this place. So, if you have a male slave, six years after seven, he will go free. People would, you know, we said about slavery and whatnot, people would sell themselves into slavery to pay a debt. You, know, you can read about that in Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15. When people left the service of their master, so to speak, the master was compelled by law 
to see them off with gifts and liberal providing so they didn't go from being indentured in somebody's service, bound to serve somebody for a fixed period of time, to then poor and penniless and alone. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 15 in particular. If your male servant, you know, after this particular time is finished, um, and if you wanted to stay in the service of your, your master, your person, your boss, so to speak, you would um, be brought before God and the priests and the judges, whoever was kind of, you know, ruling and, um, and pronouncing judgment over the community at the time. And you could have an awl, a bit of wood, symbolically uh, pierce your ear. Um, much the same now, you see people with kind of, you know, the, the, they have their ears pierced and they have a plug put in, so there's a hole, or maybe they have a a larger kind of spiky looking earring thing you know what i mean people would have that put in to show look i am willingly in this guy in this family's service because they treat me well i like it here i don't want to leave so again it's just another layer to this look when we read about slavery it's not what we think of today so in that first passage, male slaves, servants, attendants, maybe your Bible says, um, if you come in single, you go out single. If you come in married, then your wife shall go with him. You know, you're not at the absolute mercy of your employer, of your master, for them to do whatever they want with you. If you come in single, you go single. If you come married, you go married. If you come in single... Uh, if your master gives him a wife, provides for you a wife, introduces you to your wife, um, the children then sort of enhance the household of the master. We talked about this uh, last week in our main Friday service about Solomon. He uh, procured for himself servants, slaves, attendants, maidens. The Bible uses lots of different words. English Bibles use lots of different words to describe these complex systems. And Solomon's point in his accumulation to try and give his life meaning was, look, my household is just growing and growing and growing. Because children born in that household then uh, technically, legally belong to that household as well. Verses 7 to 11 talk about uh, females, talk about ladies, and they're treated a little bit differently. So we read, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, and you think, hang on a minute, just pause right there. Why would anybody sell their daughter? Uh, quite often, Hebrew fathers in this place at this time thought that it was better and more advantageous for their daughter to be in the employ, in the household, to be a servant, a maiden of neighbors, friends, people in the community of a higher standing and with greater resources than it would be to be the wife of somebody with less means. So when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she doesn't please her master, in the tasks that he has assigned to her, then she shall be redeemed. So ladies are not to be um, kept in the household, so to speak, kept in the service of this master if it's just not working out. 
We read that he shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, if, he's, if you know, he, he provides the opportunity for his son to marry this female attendant maiden, if it's introduced, look, you guys can potentially marry. He shall deal, and it works out, he shall deal with her as a daughter. If the son takes another wife, uh, as again was common in this place at this time, and just because it happened then is not an endorsement that you can do it now, if the son gets married again, that doesn't diminish the rights of the daughter, the lady that's come into the house and has then been married. Uh, she will still be provided with food, clothing, and marital rights. Uh, that most likely means a place to live and a place of safety. Um, and we read in verse 11, if these things don't happen, she will leave the household, leave the empire, leave the service without there being any charge, money, nothing. You can just walk. So after the first 11 verses about people in your household, we move on to some laws, some uh, statutes being explained for crimes that required the death penalty. So first in verse 12, we'll see whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. So if you murder somebody, the death penalty was imposed. Read in verse 13, that if you didn't lie in wait for him, if it wasn't a premeditated murder, if there was some kind of accident that you've caused, then you would be allowed to flee to a city of refuge. Uh, you can read about those in Numbers chapter 35, Deuteronomy 19, also Joshua 20. Uh, but again in verse 14, if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Premeditated murder was in direct violation of the sixth commandment that you don't kill other people. We said last week it's because people are made in the image of God. and it, As image bearers, it's just, no, it's just not all right. We see in verse 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Again, this is in direct violation of the fifth commandment last week. Verse 16 here, if you steal a man and sell him, kidnap, if you kidnap somebody and profit from it, if you kidnap somebody and anybody else is found in possession of him, the death penalty is imposed. Verse 17, whoever curses his father or mother, maybe your Bible says dishonor or reviles, um, again, death penalty, the sanctity of the home and the family and the community and the unity of this unit was so important that, look, if you violate this, the death penalty was imposed. Then there are four little sections dealing with kind of uh, restitution or compensation. So verses 18 and 19, if you're having a bit of a quarrel, an argument with another guy and you strike him, uh, my Bible says with a stone or with his fist, and he doesn't die, but he's laid up sick in bed. If he rises again, is able to walk, you will then compensate him financially for the time he has missed at work. The earnings that he has missed out on due to being injured because you've hit him, you need to pay for. Verses 20, 21, if you do the same to a slave, your slave, your, somebody, one of your attendants, maidens, one of your household staff, male or female, if they die, 
you'll be avenged for that. They will be avenged. You will be punished for that. If they survive, the punishment is really self-fulfilling because the person usually working for you is now not working, so you are losing out. Uh, 22, 23, 24, 25 is very, very interesting uh, and informative, historically informative on the Christian view of the unborn. So verse 22, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so if there is a fight happening and a pregnant woman gets caught up in the middle by accident so that her children come out, if she delivers prematurely, but there is no harm to mother or baby, then the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. Verse 23, but if there is harm, we're talking about now the life of the mother but also the unborn life inside of her. If there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is possibly the first time we've talked about the status of the unborn life, and we're, what, 70-something chapters in 71 chapters into the Bible. The unborn are viewed as a life. You will pay life for life. If there's a fight going on and a pregnant lady gets caught up in the middle, something happens to her or the unborn child inside of her, punishment was to be dished out. Unborn children are viewed as life. And if you do something to injure them, to affect them, to take their life, to kill them, whilst they are still in the womb, these laws would then be put upon you because unborn children are viewed as life. We can read this kind of stuff, can't we, about, you know, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We think, well, this law of retaliation sounds quite serious. Doesn't it just perpetuate a cycle of violence? The intent behind it, so I read, was to minimize the ongoing strife, fighting, punishment. I read recently that this law of retaliation was to restrict the amount of punishment to what was equitable. So rather than saying, look, we've had a fight and um, you've knocked out one of my teeth, I think the death penalty is appropriate. This was laid out that, no, look, the unity of the community is so important, that it's so important that we're cohesive, that we're together, that we respect one another, as we talked about in the Ten Commandments, that there does need to be some kind of punishment for those that disrespect and actively work against the unity of the community, but it needs to be equitable. So if, like we've just read, if, if two guys are having a fight and one of them knocks the other's tooth out, the death penalty is not appropriate because that's an, a, a huge escalation isn't it? But yeah, you know, we read it now and we think, wow, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. It's not how we live now and it's not how we live post the cross of Christ. And we're going to touch on that again and again and again as we move through Exodus and particularly the Old Testament.
verses 26 and 27, we see the same thing applied to slaves, servants, maids, attendants, male or female. We read in verse 26, when a man strikes the eye of his slave and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If you knock out a tooth, same thing. If you've permanently maimed, if you've caused lasting bodily damage to one of your slaves, maiden, servants, attendants, they go free. And then verses 28 to the end of the chapter are quite interesting because we don't live in this kind of culture anymore, do we? Most of us don't own ox and bulls and cows and cattle. Predominantly, we are not an agricultural culture, but in this time and at this place, this was really important to get in there because these things happened frequently. So if your ox gores a man, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. So if you've got a bit of a rogue ox who gets out and, and sadly kills somebody, the ox is, is killed, but it's not viewed as your fault. Verse 29, but... If the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, so if this has happened before, and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, if it's got out, hurt somebody, you've taken it home, not really secured it up, and taken the proper precautions, it gets out again, it kills somebody, the ox is stoned. But so is the owner because you know you've got a problem that you didn't deal with properly and now somebody has died as a result of your negligence. You've been warned about it. This isn't a genuine first-time accident. You've been warned. It's got out again. It's done it again. Verses 31-32 essentially say the same thing. If your ox gores somebody's child, same. If your ox gores a slave, male or female, uh, you pay restitution to the master and the ox is, is killed as well. A couple more rules about uh, statutes about negligence. Uh, verse 33, if you dig in doing a bit of agricultural work, you open a pit, uh, somebody else's animal falls into it, you pay them the appropriate price for that animal, but you've got to deal with the dead one. And 35 and 36, uh, if there are a couple of oxes, cows, bulls, uh, having a bit of a tussle and one kills the other, you and the owner of the other one would sell the live one and share the price and you would... Uh, share also the dead ox as well. 36 says, if it's been known that the ox has been accustomed to go in the past, again, if you've got a bit of a problem animal or you've not taken proper precautions, you just need to pay full price to the offended party and you keep the dead one. Again, we read these passages and we think that, hang on a minute, you know, not a lot of this is applicable to me because I don't own any ox. I don't have a household staff with various rights, responsibilities, perks and privileges. I don't intend to ever do that. I don't intend to ever get an ox. Why does this matter to me? So much of what we're going to read 
in these civil laws or some of these ceremonial laws, some of these criminal laws, yes, are for this group of people in this place at this time. But the principle that underpins them is still very applicable. Like we said about your ox, no, you probably don't own an ox with a bad attitude that wants to get out and gore people. But the principle of, look, you know you've got a problem You've not done anything about it, and this problem has grown and is now injured, caused harm to other people. It's still very applicable, isn't it? If you know that you've got a problem, if you know something under your control is going to cause harm to somebody, whatever kind of harm that might be, and you don't do anything about it, the principle is still very applicable. We're culpable, we're responsible for not taking care of problems that we've got the power and the influence to take care of. And if there was something in Exodus 21 that I would leave you with as food for thought, it would be the end of verse 32. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, somebody in the service of another, the owner shall give to the master 30 shekels of silver. And the ox shall be stoned. Now, again, first glance, why is that important to me? I don't have slaves, I don't have oxes. I don't find the price of a slave, the life of somebody in the service of another, was valued at 30 shekels of silver. And when you stop and when you pause, when you take yourself back from these civil and criminal laws for these people in this place at this time and see, hang on a minute, the life of somebody living in the service of another is valued at 30 shekels of silver. It takes your mind straight to Jesus, doesn't it? Betrayed for the price the value of a life lived in service to another. Jesus betrayed by Judas, sold out by Judas for this very price, 30 shekels of silver. We read in Matthew 26 that Judas said to the chief priest, what will you give me to betray Jesus into your hands? And they gave him 30 silver coins. Uh, Louis Barbieri Jr., writes that 30 silver coins was the redemption price paid for a slave. It's the same amount that was prophesied as the price for the services of the rejected shepherd in Zechariah 11. And here it's the price of restitution. It's the, the value of the life of somebody lived in service to another. So Exodus 21 is interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting to learn about the kind of civil and criminal laws that God's people lived under at the time. No, we don't live under lots of them now because of a different culture. The principle is still the same, but the, the shining light to come out of Exodus 21, for me at least, is this. The price, the value of a life of somebody lived in the service of another was 30 pieces, 30 shekels of silver which is what Jesus' life was valued at when he was betrayed by Judas. And that really set in motion, really accelerated his path to the cross where he died 
for your sins and for my sins. Next week, we'll get into Exodus 22. We'll continue talking about some of these laws of restitution. There are laws about social justice. But until next week, God bless you.